Well, again, uh, thank you. The uh, topic before us is a Lutheran theology of mission. As, uh, as you know, this, uh, this topic was to be done by uh, Reverend Robbie Rojas, and uh, due to a family emergency not able to be here, the, uh, the uh, paper before you is kind of a conglomeration of a lot of things, and I think most of it has not been presented uh, publicly, especially through the ACLC. So please bear with me and uh, apologize in advance if uh, some parts of this are uh, plowing the same ground. A Lutheran theology of mission. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Luke 24, 44 to 49. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Psalm 96, verse 3. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Matthew 9, 38 to 35. What does it mean to be a Lutheran? What does it mean to be a confessional Lutheran? Do the Lutheran confessions really form us and shape us? Can one be a confessional Lutheran without being a confessing Lutheran? It's one of the reasons why the ACELC exists. What does it mean to be a Lutheran by conviction? That phrase was taught to me by the now sainted Doris Jean Louet, the uh, father of the Lutheran Church in Haiti. The topic assigned to me is a Lutheran theology of mission. In other words, is there any such thing as a distinctively Lutheran theology of mission and outreach? I believe that the question boils down to a matter of identity. Often, when I see someone wearing a hat, with a team logo on it, I will ask if they are a true fan 
or just wearing the hat. Those of you that are sitting close, what hat is this? Bug eaters. Bug eaters. What team is that? Nebraska. They were the bug eaters before they were the Huskers. Right? All right. Now, let's get into true passion. True conviction. My all-time favorite football team. All Lutherans should cheer for the Saints. Saints. Yes. And uh, to be liturgically correct, there we go. Now, if I really want to throw people for a loop, I will wear this hat. Is there anybody here who knows this national champion football hat that I am wearing? It says national championship right on it. The insignia right on it. Can't see it. Can't see it. Oh, well, you should have sat in the front row. The University of Wisconsin Whitewater Warhawks, Division Three national champions for several years, coached by a former member at Good Shepherd. Thank you very much. All right. This is going to be audience participation all the way through. The responses when I ask somebody about their hat, and I did uh, this morning with a shirt... Uh, there he is, okay. Um, the responses are usually fun and sometimes surprising. I am shocked at how many people are taken aback by the question. They couldn't care less about the team colors they are promoting. What about you? I presume that you are wearing the hat of Lutheranism as you hear or read this presentation. Is that your true identity? Your true confession? Or are you, like so many among us, just wearing the hat? Matters of identity are all around us. At times, they may be spot on. At other times, uh, slightly or way off. When it comes to the topic of mission... Just what is our identity as confessional, confessing, Bible-believing Lutherans by conviction? That is what I claim as my identity, and I hope and pray you do as well. Lutherans have historically been very precise with theological language. Many Lutheran writings, especially dogmatic works, begin with a section that clearly defines terms and terminology called prolegomena. We seem to have moved away from that practice in more recent times, and the result is often sloppy theology and practice. Since there is no, uh, so there is no confusion, I would offer the following definitions. 
Mission may be defined as God's task. We heard that clearly in our sermon this morning. Of reconciling the fallen world to himself. This is a universal undertaking because God is the creator of all and loves his creation. God accomplished this reconciliation by sending his son to die and rise for sinful humans. By sending the spirit through the son and by sending the church through the son and the spirit to labor for the conversion of sinners to faith in himself. Missiology is the study of that mission in terms of its basis in scriptural revelation, its manifestation in historical dimension, its challenges in facing cultural and theological context, and its implementation in terms of practical issues facing those involved in or training for the mission task. I believe that most Christians would agree with these definitions. But just as Lutheranism is distinct from Roman Catholic, Reformed, Evangelical, Pentecostal, and Revivalistic theologies, there must be a distinctively Lutheran theology of mission. In order to clearly articulate this Lutheran theology of mission, we must dig down to our first principles. It has become popular in the wake of the church growth movement, I wish I could speak in a more Australian accent, to compose mission statements for congregations and church bodies. This can be a good exercise if it digs down to first principles. The danger lies in soaking up uncritically the torrents of biblical-sounding verbiage pouring forth from sectarian circles and saturated with an alien, non-sacramental, and therefore unevangelical theology. Lutheran congregations and synods must learn again to treasure the Book of Concord as their best and most authentic mission statement and to implement its doctrinal and sacramental substance full strength in the actual shaping of their church life. Why don't we have theologians write and speak that clearly today? Being true to our Lutheran identity, we must dig down to our first principles. We believe, teach, and confess that the Holy Scriptures are the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God and the only rule and norm for our theology and practice. We also believe, teach, and confess that the Lutheran confessions are a proper exhibition of that Word. Let us then turn to our best and most authentic mission statement. Luther teaches us that where there is forgiveness of sins, there is life and salvation. The mission of the church is the forgiveness of sins. If you remember nothing else from this paper, remember that sentence. The mission of the church is the forgiveness of sins. Let's, let's say it together, shall we? The mission of the church is the forgiveness of sins. In other words, 
The very reason for our existence as church is the forgiveness of sins. The material principle of Lutheranism, the thing that matters most is justification. We'll have much, much, much more on that in our first presentation tomorrow morning. We are justified, that is, declared righteous by grace alone, through faith alone, in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone, as revealed to us in Scripture alone, to God alone be all the glory. Justification is not only the chief doctrine in Lutheranism, it is the heart and soul of every other doctrine as well. To speak of mission apart from justification is to deny the material principle of Scripture. To have a theology of mission that does not have at its center the doctrine of justification is to cease to be Lutheran. Hear how Luther writes about this subject. And the vast majority of the quotes are all from the Lutheran confessions. Here's the first and chief article. That Jesus Christ, our Lord and God, was handed over to death for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. And He alone is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Furthermore, all have sinned. And they are now justified without merit by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus by His blood. Now, because this must be believed and may not be obtained or grasped otherwise with any work, law, or merit, it is clear and certain that this faith alone justifies us. As St. Paul says in Romans 3, For we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from works prescribed by the law, and also that God alone is righteous and justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. Nothing in this article can be conceded or given up even if heaven and earth or whatever is transitory, like the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, I just added that, passed away. As St. Peter says in Acts 4, there is no other name given among mortals by which we must be saved, and by his bruises we are healed. On this article stands all that we teach and practice against the Pope, the devil, the world. Therefore, we must be quite certain and have no doubt about it. Otherwise, everything is lost, and the Pope and the devil and whatever opposes us will gain victory and be proved right. Lutheranism is Trinitarian and Christocentric. Justification is our material principle. I submit that the Lutheran confessions offer several clear and specific mission models and paradigms. And that's what I hope to demonstrate for us today. While most Lutherans are well-schooled in Luther's small catechism, I would like to begin with the first six articles of the Augsburg Confession as they make the perfect framework for our discussion. Now I want to go through this quickly. I've done this before. I'll do it again. I submit that the first six articles of the Augsburg Confession make the perfect framework 
for just about everything we do in the church, practically speaking. The perfect framework for fellowship, the perfect framework for stewardship, the perfect framework for vocation. And today, the perfect framework for mission, evangelism, outreach, whatever word or phrase that you want to use. The first six articles of the Augsburg Confession, just think about them. I've got them quoted here. I'm not going to read through them all. You can do that. But the first six articles of the Augsburg Confession. All theology, by its definition, theology means a word from or a word about God. Article 1, who is the one true God? Triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Article 2, we have God, we know who God is, holy, perfect, three in one and one in three. How do I stand in relationship to this holy, holy, holy God? Article two is the doctrine of man. Furthermore, it is taught among us that since this fall of Adam, all human beings who are born in the natural way, that omits Jesus, are conceived and born in sin. That means that from birth they are full of evil lust and inclination and cannot by nature possess true fear of God and true faith in God. It goes on. God is holy. We are not. The total depravity of man confessed in Article 2 of the Augsburg Confession is not confessed by many, many, many Christians. We are clear. We have a holy God and we have an unholy me, an unholy people. Houston, we have a problem. Maybe I should say eagle today. God is holy and we are not. Cut off from God and doomed as his enemy. We have no power to save ourselves. No ability to restore this broken relationship. We need help. Wouldn't it be great if we had like, like a mediator between God and man? Article 3 of the Augsburg Confession. Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the solution. Jesus. Who is this Jesus? Okay. Likewise, it is taught that God the Son became a human being, incarnation, born of the pure Virgin Mary, and that the two natures, the divine and the human, are so inseparably united in one person that there is one Christ. He is true God and true human being who truly was born, suffered, crucified, died, and was buried in order to be a sacrifice not only for original sin, but for all sins, and to conciliate God's wrath. Jesus, true God and true man, comes to earth to save sinners. Article 1, who is God? Article 2, who is man? Article 3, what hope is there? Who is Jesus? So Jesus is the Christ, true God and true man, sent by the Father as a sacrifice for sin. What exactly does this mean 
for me, for you, a poor, miserable sinner. Furthermore, it is taught that we cannot obtain the forgiveness of sins and righteousness before God through our merit, work, and satisfaction, but that we receive forgiveness of sin and become righteous before God out of grace for Christ's sake, through faith, when we believe that Christ has suffered for us, and that for His sake our sin is forgiven and righteousness and eternal life are given to us. For God will regard and reckon this faith as righteousness in his sight. As St. Paul says in Romans 3. Justification by grace through faith on account of the person and work of Jesus Christ. The chief article right here. Article 4 of the Augsburg Confession. Forgiveness of sin and eternal life is a gift of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Awesome! How do I get it since I am powerless to save myself? To obtain such faith, God instituted the office of preaching, giving the gospel and sacraments. Through these, as through means, he gives the Holy Spirit who produces faith, where and when he wills, in those who hear the gospel. Faith comes by hearing, right? It teaches that we have a gracious God. Not through our merit, but through Christ's merit, when we so believe. Condemned are the Anabaptists and others who teach that we obtain the Holy Spirit without the external word of the gospel, through our own preparation, thoughts, works. Article 5 and Article 4 to be read together. Now, Christ is gift. Forgiveness of, is gift. Eternal life is gift. Faith is gift. How can I thank you, Lord, for all your benefits to me? I will offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving. You ever wonder why that is sung at that particular point of the service? Forgiveness has just been delivered in the word. In a sense, the first five articles of the Augsburg Confession have been there, present, and delivered in the Divine Liturgy. And now, we respond. Article 6. It is also taught that such faith should yield good fruit and good works, and that a person must do such good works as God has commanded for God's sake, but not place trust in them as if thereby they earn grace before God. For we receive forgiveness of sin and righteousness through faith in Christ. As Christ himself says, when you have done all things, say we are worthless slaves. The fathers also teach the same thing. Ambrose says, it is determined by God that whoever believes in Christ shall be saved and have forgiveness of sins, not through works, but through faith alone without merit. Good works follow faith. As a ship is moving on the ocean, how do you tell if it's moving? There's a wake or waves behind it, right? Do the waves make the ship move? Of course not. That's ludicrous. But it's evidence that the ship is actually moving. 
Articles 1 through 6 lay, and I'm not, I'm not saying that the other 22 articles to follow are unimportant in any way, shape, or form. Hear what I say. I'm saying this is a skeletal structure by which we can hang and frame many of our theological thoughts and keep us out of theological hot water. A framework for the discussion of the theology of mission. A distinctively Lutheran theology of mission. Crazy, isn't it? The word mission doesn't even appear in the Augsburg Confessions. Not in these six, not in the 22 to follow. Well, certainly it is somewhere in the book of Concord. No. Well, if the word mission or missions doesn't appear in the book of Concord, how can we say that the Lutheran confessions serve as our mission statement? Either confessional Lutherans really don't have a theology of mission, or we need to rethink mission in biblical and confessional language. And that's what I propose we do. The Lutheran confessions, without using the word mission, make clear the mission of God. The Father sends His Son to be the Savior of the world. Through His perfect life, obedient death, glorious resurrection and ascension, Christ Jesus wins salvation for all mankind. It is finished. This salvation is freely distributed by God's divine means. Christ delivers the benefits of his crucifixion and resurrection in the preached word, the baptismal font, the bread and chalice, in the word spoken of forgiveness. In other words, the gospel in all its glorious forms. God's mission is the gift of his church for the life of the world. God fulfills this mission through the means of grace, God's means of grace, word and sacrament, which grow and sustain the church. But what about method? Isn't method important? Again, Dr. Marquardt. If there is to be such a thing as a Lutheran paradigm for the church's mission, its all decisive determining elements will have to be the pure preaching of the gospel. Orthodoxy and the right administration of the sacraments, infant baptism, bodily presence, and therefore also properly qualified incumbents of the divinely ordained gospel ministry to do this. All stress is on God's gracious channels of salvation, on his own provisions for the delivery of the deliverance, I love that phrase, in his son, to the exclusion of all man-made substitutes like synergism, moralism, unionism, antinomianism, revivalism, anti-sacramentalism, subjectivism, millennialism, Pentecostalism, and the like. Administrative, ceremonial, and other such details are significant only as they either implement... Or, or and express, or else hinder and obstruct. They either help or they hurt. 
the divine arrangements for the life and growth of the church. Method is important because doctrine and practice are intrinsically linked. What has happened far too often is that Lutherans have borrowed mission practices uncritically from non-Lutherans. The litmus test is not pure doctrine, but whatever works. Much of what passes for mission practice among us is a mixture of evangelical theology and revivalistic practice. We have a 21st century version of the new measures, mission style. What I'm proposing, the rethinking of our theology of mission today in light of biblical and confessional framework, is in fact nothing new. I'm not smart enough to come up with anything new. We can learn much here from our Lutheran history and heritage. I've said it three times already. I'll say it again. The Lutheran church has always been considered a missionary church. In 1523, Luther penned this hymn based on Psalm 67 considered the first missionary hymn of Protestantism. Rob, we need you to write some music to this. Would that the Lord would grant us grace, with blessings rich provide us. And with clear shining let his face to life eternal light us, that we his gracious work may know, and what is his good pleasure... And also to the heathen show Christ's riches without measure. And unto God convert them. Now let the heathen thank and praise the Lord with gladsome voices. Let all the world for joy upraise a song with mighty noises. Because thou art earth's judge, O Lord, and sin no more prevaileth. Thy word is both bed and board, and for all folk availeth in the right path to keep them. O oh, let the people praise thy worth in all good works increasing. The land shall plenteous for fruit bring forth. Thy word is rich in blessing. May we be blessed by Father, Son, blessed also by the Holy Ghost, to whom by all be honor done, whom all the world shall fear the most. Thus heartily say, Amen. It is interesting to reflect upon the theological content of this hymn. Luther desired it as a sending hymn or closing hymn in the service. You can almost pick out each of the first six articles of the Augsburg Confession. God's grace is ever present. Christ and his word provide the power and forgiveness. The people hear Believe and respond with good works. God's mission is the gift of His Son for the life of the world. That mission is carried on today in the means of grace. God's means of grace. Word and sacrament grow and sustain the church. That is the way it has always been. That is the way it will always be to the very end of the age. As the LCMS was being formed... It is clear from the 1847 Constitution that was formally adopted 
that this same theological progression was in mind. Take a look at this constitution. Reasons for forming a synodical organization. The example of the apostolic church, Acts 15. The preservation and furthering of the unity of pure confession, Ephesians 4, 6, 1 Corinthians 1. And to provide a common defense against separatism and sectarianism, Romans 16. Protection and preservation of the rights and duties of pastors and congregations. The establishment of the largest possible conformity in church agreement. Togetherness. Unity. The will of the Lord that the diversities of gifts be used for the common good, 1 Corinthians 12. The unified spread of the kingdom of God to make possible the promotion of special church projects, and then it goes on. The key to this understanding is Ephesians 4, 3-6. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. While the first six articles of the Augustana make an excellent mission framework, so does Luther's small catechism. In general, the six chief parts. The small called articles as well as specific parts of the confessions. Another way to summarize the mission of the church is to review, study, and pray the Lord's Prayer. The first three petitions stated simply and clearly. Grab your hymnals right now. Page 323. Told you this was going to be audience participation. Page 323. Some people here, probably including our vicar, didn't realize that that catechism is actually in our hymnal, huh? All right. Page 323, right-hand column, the Lord's Prayer. Now, I'm not going to put anybody on the spot. It would be wonderful if we all had these words memorized. This is your uh, the rest of your summer homework if you don't. First three petitions. Of the Lord's Prayer, down toward the bottom right-hand column. Hallowed be thy name. What does this mean? Let's read it together, shall we? God's name is certainly holy in itself. But we pray in this petition that it may be holy, kept holy among us also. How is God's name kept holy? God's name is kept holy when the Word of God is taught in its truth and purity. And we, as the children of God, also lead holy lives according to it. Help us to do this, dear Father in heaven. But anyone who teaches or lives contrary to God's word profanes the name of God among us. Protect us from this, Heavenly Father. Second petition, thy kingdom come. What does this mean? The kingdom of God certainly comes by itself without our prayer. But we pray in this petition that it may come to us also. How does God's kingdom come? God's kingdom comes when our Heavenly Father gives us the Holy Spirit. So that by His grace we believe His Holy Word 
and lead godly lives here in time and there in eternity. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does this mean? The good and gracious God will of God is done even without our prayer. That it may be done among us also. How is God's will done? God's will is done when he breaks and hinders every evil plan and purpose of the devil, the world, and our sinful nature, which do not want us to hallow God's name or let his kingdom come. And when he strengthens and keeps us firm in his word and faith until we die, this is his good and gracious will. Think about that. Those, those words that are common, those words that should be familiar, the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer. God's Word in its truth and purity. God's Word going forth in its truth and purity. The people of God hearing the Word of God and believing it. The people of God hearing and believing the word of God in its truth and purity and leading holy lives according to it. It's the same basic pattern as the first six articles of the, Apostle, or of the Augsburg Confession. The pure word of God taught, believed, and lived. The word bespeaks us righteous. This word strengthens us and keeps us steadfast in Christ until we are transferred to the kingdom of glory. This word gives us a new identity in Christ. This word moves us out into the world where we live and move and have our being. This word connected to water, bread, and wine and human words brings forgiveness, life, and salvation. The familiar post-communion colic says it this way, We implore you that of your mercy you would strengthen us through the same in faith towards you and in fervent love toward one another. This is the response of faith we call good works. Augsburg 6. Having been called to faith, God now calls us to love our neighbor. In this area, most of what we would call mission work or evangelism takes place in our vocation, in the freedom of the gospel. The connection between word, sacraments, and mission can be summed up as salvation accomplished and salvation distributed. Luther was fond of speaking of justification in just this way. I've noticed that our, many of our evangelical uh, covenant churches, the Berean church in Nebraska, we are very, very similar in doctrine with regard to salvation accomplished. Good Friday and Easter. We are not anywhere close to each other in salvation distributed. And I think we can talk in these simple terms when we're visiting with our people, helping them and warning them of the dangers of false teaching. This is Luther. So that our readers may, be, may better perceive our teaching, I shall clearly and broadly describe it. We treat of the forgiveness of sins in two ways. First, how it is achieved and won. Second, how it is distributed and given to us. Christ has achieved it on the cross, it is true. But he has not distributed or given it on the cross. 
He has not won it in the supper or sacrament. There he has distributed and given it through the word, as also in the gospel where it is preached. He has won it once for all on the cross. But the distribution takes place continuously. That is the, the, the mystery and the paradox of it is finished, but it's still going on that we heard about in the sermon today. This distribution takes place continuously before and after, from the beginning to the end of the world. For inasmuch as he had determined once to achieve it, it made no difference to him whether he distributed it before or after through his word, as can easily be proved from Scripture. But now there is neither need nor time to do so. If I now seek the forgiveness of sins, I do not run to the cross, for I will not find it given there. Nor must I hold to the suffering of Christ as Dr. Karlstadt trifles, knowledge, or remembrance, for I will not find it there either. But I will find it in the sacrament or gospel, the word which distributes, presents, offers, and gives to me the forgiveness which was won on the cross." Therefore, Luther has rightly taught that whoever has a bad conscience from his sins should go to the sacrament and obtain comfort, not because of bread and wine, not because of the body and blood of Christ, but because the word which in the sacrament offers, presents, and gives the body and blood of Christ, given and shed for me. Don't you love Luther? Is that not clear enough? This is clearly shown again in Luther's small catechism with Luther's explanation to the Apostles' Creed. For the sake of time, we'll skip that one. You can do it. The uh, uh, first three articles of the Apostles' Creed. The exact same sequence of how God works in the world. Know your catechism. Know your Bible. This is as simple as child's play. For Luther and the Lutheran confessions, a separate theology of mission is inconceivable. Think of Princess Bride there. All of the theology, all of theology is Trinitarian and Christological. And to use a current and somewhat faddish term, missional. The confessions delineate a necessary order or hierarchy. First, the work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then, the Word and Sacraments as tools of the Trinity, working through indispensable human agents. Only a church with the pure gospel can do what we would call mission work that is faithful. If Christ and the doctrine of justification is not at the center of everything, the gospel message will be perverted. If Scripture is not understood in its proper and intended sense of law and gospel, then the, guest, the gospel will be perverted. If sin and grace are not proclaimed as God intended, then the gospel will be perverted. If a proper distinction between the two kingdoms or between the royal priesthood and the office of the holy ministry is not held, the gospel will be perverted. Thus, pure doctrine and the mission of the church not only go hand in hand. Are you sitting down? 
Properly understood, they are exactly the same thing. Exactly the same thing. Pure doctrine and the mission of the church. The modern mission movement began at least 200 years after the death of Luther. It was born out of pietism and has been perpetuated to this day by well-meaning Christians who often hold to a very different understanding of sin, grace, law, gospel, office of the holy ministry, word, sacrament, and most importantly, justification. To borrow uncritically from these theologies is to tear at the heart of Lutheranism and true mission activity. To try to Lutheranize these mission models is naive and quite simply impossible. One must either admit that Lutheranism is somehow incomplete and lacking and must be supplemented by non-Lutheran theology, or one must repent and turn to our first principles. I would submit that we repent. Depending on your definition of mission. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod has always been considered a missionary church. The mission efforts of early Lutheranism and especially the LCMS are well documented. And yet there are many that see Luther and Lutheranism as either indifferent to mission and outreach or theologically inadequate. In my lifetime, I can't remember a time when intentional mission and outreach has not been a part of our beloved synod. Some of you are older than me. Most of you are younger. How many do you remember? Into all the world, each one reach one, preaching, teaching, reaching, bringing Christ to the nations. When I was in grade school, every day, my fourth grade year, we heard about Ebenezer. Then later on, I found out it was all about raising money. Great Commission Convocation. Dialogue Evangelism. You heard in that long bio my connection to the uh, uh, Dialogue Evangelism. Tell the good news about Jesus. Everyone's favorite, ablaze. The effort and intention should be commended. But at the same time, we should also take an honest look at these efforts and programs. Are they consistent with our Lutheran identity? Have they helped or possibly hindered the mission of God? A quick perusal of LCMS websites and mission statements can be quite revealing. It is quite common to see statements like the following. The mission of the church is the Great Commission. The mission of the church is our job description. Every member a missionary. Our mission is to do whatever it takes to spread the kingdom of God. That's a big one here in Nebraska. The mission of the church is the main thing. Our church is a mission outpost with an outreach center. That's almost word for word from the Nebraska district. Again, good intentions. But closer investigation will also result in the following types of comments. 
Pure doctrine is a hindrance to the mission of the church. We need to be about mission, not doctrine. We need to care more about people than rules. You have a maintenance ministry and we care about mission. Doctrine and practice are not related. Doctrine divides. Mission unites. To say that there is confusion about mission in the Lutheran church seems obvious. I would humbly submit that often the confusion goes deeper, much deeper. It is really a matter of identity. Much of what we would call mission and outreach activity in the church today is motivated and driven by guilt and duty. The Great Commission has in effect become the great obligation. Is this the best we have to offer? Is this way of thinking true to our Lutheran identity? Shouldn't our mission and outreach efforts be motivated by something other than guilt? Say, the life-giving, life-changing gospel? In light of all this, please allow me to direct our attention to perhaps one of the least known of our confessional writings, the small called articles. These articles confess the faith in clear and precise terms and also rightly point out common errors. They serve us well as a confessional mission model. Time will not present, pre permit a detailed study, but a cursory view will illustrate my point. First, a proper distinction between law and gospel is necessary for the mission of the church. To this office of the law, however, the New Testament immediately adds the consoling promise of grace through the gospel. This we should believe. As Christ says in Mark 1, repent and believe the good news. This, has the this is the same as become and act otherwise and believe my promise. Even before Jesus, John the baptizer was called a preacher of repentance. But for the purpose of the forgiveness of sins. Isn't that amazing? The mission of the church is the forgiveness of sins. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Skip down to the next paragraph. Article 8 of Small Called Articles warns us about the error of enthusiasm and the importance of the word which if left unchecked will ultimately gut the gospel and lead to universalism. In these matters, which concern the spoken external word, it must be firmly maintained that God gives no one his spirit or grace apart from the external word which goes before. We say this to protect ourselves from the enthusiasts, that is, the spirits, who boast that they have the Spirit apart from and before contract, contact with the Word. On this basis, they judge, interpret, and twist the Scriptures or oral Word according to their pleasure. Munzer did this, and there are still many doing this today, who set themselves up as shrewd judges between the spirits and the letter without knowing what they say or teach. The papacy is also purely religious raving in that the Pope boasts that all laws are in the shrine of his heart, and that what he decides and commands in his churches is supposed to be spirit and law, even when it is above and contrary to the scriptures or spoken word. 
This is all the old devil and the old snake who turned Adam and Eve into enthusiasts and led them away from the external word of God to spirituality and their own presumption. Although he even accomplished this by means of other external words. In the same way, our enthusiasts also condemn the external word. And yet, they themselves do not keep silent. Instead, they fill the world with their chattering and scribbling, as if the Spirit could not come through the Scriptures or the spoken word of the apostles, but the Spirit must come through their own writings and words. Why do they not abstain from their preaching and writing until the Spirit Himself comes into the people apart from it and in advance of their writings? After all, they boast that the Spirit has come to them without the preaching of the Scriptures. Article 12 teaches us the nature of the church, God's Word taught in its truth and purity, and hearers who believe that Word. Mission work then as it seeks to extend the kingdom of God on earth, will put its trust not in human works or inventions, but in the Word. Or as my uh, birthday-sharing friend would say, the Bible! We do not concede to them that they are church. And frankly, they are not the church. We do not want to hear what they command or forbid in the name of the church because, God be praised, a seven-year-old child knows what the church is. Holy believers and the little sheep who hear the voice of their shepherd. This is why children pray in this way, I believe in one holy Christian church. This holiness does not consist of surpluses, tonsures, long albs, or other ceremonies of theirs that they have invented over and above the Holy Scriptures. Its holiness exists in the Word of God and true faith. For Lutherans, the bottom line is always the person and work of Jesus. In other words, justification. Many mission activities have at their center something other than justification. If their center is wrong, everything flowing from that center will be an error as well. Article 13 makes clear how first man is justified and then follows the response of faith. I cannot change at all what I have consistently taught about this until now, namely that through faith, as St. Peter says, we receive a different, new, clean heart, and that for the sake of Christ, our mediator, God will and does regard us as completely righteous and holy. Although sin in the flesh is still not completely gone or dead, God will nevertheless not count it or consider it. Good works follow such faith, renewal, and forgiveness of sin. And whatever in these works is still sinful or imperfect should not even be counted as sin or imperfection precisely for the sake of the same Christ. Instead, the human creature should be called and should be completely righteous and holy according to both the person and his or her works. By the pure grace and mercy that have been poured and spread out over us in Christ, therefore, we cannot boast about the great merit of our works where they are viewed apart from grace and mercy. Rather, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1, 2 Corinthians 10. That is, 
If one has a gracious God, then everything is good. Furthermore, we also say that if good works do not follow, then faith is false and not true. The next couple of pages go into the formula of Concord, both the epitome and the solid declaration with regard to the topic of free will. This could be a topic for an entire conference. Much of the naughtiness that goes on in the church today in the name of mission and evangelism is in error with regard to free will. And uh, we in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, are not immune from that as well. Let me uh, conclude this section and uh, skip over to page 20 so we can bring this thing to a close. This article goes on to give a beautiful testimony regarding the will of God that all would be saved as a result of His boundless grace and mercy. Section is summed up. Through these means, the preaching and hearing of His Word, God goes about His work and breaks our hearts and draws people so that they recognize their sins and God's wrath through the preaching of the law and feel real terror, regret, and sorrow in their hearts. Through the preaching of the Holy Gospel, of the gracious forgiveness of sins in Christ, and through meditating upon it, a spark of faith is ignited in them, and they accept the forgiveness of sins for Christ's sake, and receive the comfort of the promise of the Gospel. In this way, the Holy Spirit, who affects all of this, is sent into their hearts. God's work is often hidden from human eyes. Rather than relying on our feelings, emotions, human goals and expectations, or the way the Missouri Synod often does mission work by counting dollars and seats, we can and should trust the sure and certain word. Moreover, this doctrine points us to the means through which the Holy Spirit wills to begin this conversion and affect it. It also reminds us how these same gifts are retained, strengthened, and increased. And it admonishes us not to let God's grace have no effect in us, but to exercise ourselves diligently in considering what a grievous sin it is to impede and resist the working of the Holy Spirit. We could go on. But we need to stop. To say that Lutheranism in general and specifically the Lutheran confessions have no theology of mission would be sheer foolishness. A Lutheran paradigm for mission is clearly taught and it is complete. There is no need for supplemental material from non-Lutheran sources. The mission of the church is the forgiveness of sins, won by Christ with his Good Friday and Easter work, and distributed by Christ in word and sacrament. The triune God creates the church through the means of grace, God's plan of salvation, and the mission of God are identical. Lutheran congregations and synods must learn again to treasure the Book of Concord as their best and most authentic mission statement.
and to implement its doctrinal and sacramental substance full strength in the actual shaping of their church life. Mark Ward at the beginning, Mark Ward at the end. Now is the time to return to the scriptures and Lutheran symbols, to repent of our lack of trust in God and His appointed means,